0: Welcome to the Nobody Told Me That podcast. My name is Teresa Duncan and my goal is to share information that you probably weren't thinking about. I love preparing my friends for situations that may come completely out of the blue. I also want to share with you many of the tidbits I picked up over the years. If you absolutely have to tune out before the end of the show, make sure you check out the show notes for more details and information on today's topic. And thank you so much for making me a part of your day. we're back with another episode. Hello everyone. I want to introduce you to a new friend of mine. Her name is India Chance and she is the owner of Learn to Prevent. We're going to be talking OSHA, infection control, fake nails, people who don't want to take care of stuff in the lab. We're going to we're going to talk about all of that. Welcome to the show, India.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Well, we are going to have a good time because the only way we can talk about things like insurance, which is my thing, and OSHA and HIPAA is to make it fun. Otherwise, the audiences are sound asleep. You know how (laughs) it goes. Yes, yes. Definitely a lot of
1: people have fallen asleep in my classes.
0: (laughs) How long have you been doing this infection control OSHA, HIPAA uh, dance around the country?
1: Um, So for about five years, um, 2017 is when I really kind of started to dive in and get really involved. I've been in dentistry. I'm a dental hygienist by trade, and I've been in dentistry about 26 years. But 2017 is when things kind of started to, you know, open up for me. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to go down this road. And it has been an interesting journey, fun um, at times, crazy and overwhelming at times. But um I really feel like this is like what I'm supposed to be doing, my mission of encouraging safer dentistry. So
0: so you were fairly, I guess, a couple of years into it. And then all of a sudden this thing like COVID happened. And you're like, wait, hold on. I'm still like in training. What's going on here? What's with this big pandemic now? So how did that throw you for a loop? actually my business
1: just like went nuts with covid because you know of course you know infection control and ocean safety was at the forefront of dentistry and uh it just really kind of just exploded and it's been nice in a way because it's really brought a lot of these important issues to the forefront uh, that we were, I don't want to say ignoring, but we were overlooking in a way uh, in dentistry. And so I think that that is one of the silver linings that came out of, you know, the pandemic for dentistry that we really are now paying more attention to you know infection control and OSHA and you know delivering safe dentistry making sure that all of the stakeholders that are involved in the dental visit are protected and and you know we're just making sure that we're
0: delivering a safer visit so that's been nice well the, the interesting thing about infection control is i started right around the time when the hiv thing was going on i don't mean thing to denigrate but sure you know, just that's when it was happening and You know, uh, older clinicians were like, What are these glove things I have to wear (laughs) now? This is crazy. What was interesting is there was such a focus on infection control, and we were not on the good side of it back then. Right. This time around, thankfully, we came out looking like, Wow, what? They've been doing this this whole time? I did no idea my dental office was so safe. And we're like, Hello. Right. So, (laughs) was it kind of a vindication for when you start seeing on the press that like dentists are so protected?
1: Absolutely. I mean, if you look at the other, uh, you know, health disciplines, I mean, compared to, let's say, your primary care doctor, I mean, we do a lot, you know, as far as, you know, PPE with disinfection and sterilization and things like that I mean obviously we do more than what a primary care doctor might do on a regular basis but uh, yeah it was nice to see that people finally are seeing what we do they see the importance of it they see how much is involved in it I felt I feel like the curtain you know was pulled back so people you know because the general public a lot of times, what do they say, I'm just going to get my teeth cleaned, or I'm just, you know, going to get my teeth polished or something like that. And it's kind of like, eh. but uh, I think that the pandemic really opened a lot of eyes, including the patients to say, Oh, wow, you know, you guys actually do more than just brush my teeth,
0: (laughs) or clean my teeth, right with these instruments, right? And as you stand there like sweating and you're like 500 layers (laughs) of PPE, you're like, I told you so. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) So interestingly enough, in the pregame, what you and I were talking about was the topics of OSHA, HIPAA, and infection control. Now you have courses online on all of this, but what I thought was interesting is you said people think OSHA and infection control are the same thing. For a lot of my listeners, you know, we're in the admin side. We know that we have to be an an OSHA administrator. We have to make sure the OSHA is implemented, but I'm not so sure everybody knows that there is that difference, that there's OSHA and there's infection control. Can you break that down for the audience? What are you talking about when you say there's two?
1: Yeah, sure. So uh, OSHA really focuses, it's, you know, delivered. Basically, you know, occupational safety. Uh, so that focuses on employee safety. Infection control is provided there. It's basically recommendations that are provided by the CDC that focuses more on patient safety. Now, there are a lot of recommendations from CDC and OSHA standards uh, that overlap. For instance, a couple of those areas are personal protective equipment, your PPE, uh, sterilization, um, biohazardous waste, things like that. So there are some topics that overlap. But there's definitely a distinction because with OSHA, because it's uh put forth by the occupational you know safety and health administration uh they are actually a legal entity of the government and so they put forth legislation to pass laws for their standards to be implemented and so at a federal level every single dental office is required to adhere to osha standards whatever standards apply to specifically to a dental office with the CDC, they are not a legal entity. And so they what they put forth is based on data and they put recommendations forth. And so unless you practice or your practice is in a state where the dental board and the health department determine that the CDC recommendations are important, they write them into the Dental Practice Act, they write them into you know other parts of the dental laws, practice laws in the state, then they are just recommendations. But if they're written into basically the laws, the Dental Practice Act, the laws in the state, then those recommendations move to requirements. And so that's what we would call a CDC compliance state. And so it is important as a practice owner for you to kind of know, hey, are we are these CDC recommendations requirements? Are we supposed to hand, you know, do, deal with those? Are we supposed to implement those? Or can we pick and choose because they're recommendations? And you can find that information by basically just contacting the dental board, or you can go onto the dental board website and you can look at the uh, Dental Practice Act. Most states have it on their website. But if you're not sure, you can't find it because some of the websites are a little wonky, you can you know, contact the uh, dental board, give them a call, you know, figure out who you need to talk to, and then they can let you know how they approach um, the CDC. For OSHA, how you can do that, because with OSHA, there's a federal standard, and then some states have a state standard or a state plan. And so with the state,
0: is that common? Or is that?
1: Yes, it's very common. I There's 20-something, maybe 15. I can't keep track of all of them, but there are definitely a lot of states that have like another level of OSHA that needs to be implemented. And so how you would find out if your state has uh, an OSHA state plan is you would contact the local OSHA office that's in your area and they can tell you, listen, we're going to follow, we follow the federal guidelines or yes, we have additional, you know, requirements for dental practices or whatever the case may be. Um, but it's called an OSHA state plan. So that's kind of the difference. And with OSHA, OSHA training is required every single year by every single dental practice in the United States, okay? With infection control, the way that's approached is individual dental licensed dental professionals are required to, in most states, are required to have that training to renew their licenses. But there are a lot of practices that provide it from a risk management standpoint because they want to make sure that their team is trained in infection control and in OSHA. And so, you know, so there are a lot of practices that provide both trainings, but OSHA is the only one that's required for the dent, for the practice owner, the employer to provide on an annual basis to their team. So that's kind of the difference. You know, in dentistry, we always hear everybody puts everything under the
0: OSHA umbrella. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I'm so confused. Like, wait, what? So no, I'm so glad you're you're doing that. Yeah. Yeah. So there's definitely a distinction there. You know, I follow a lot of my friends on Instagram, a lot of their offices, and I really love when they have a post that says the office is closed today for our annual infection control. I think that's so smart when they do that. I mean, patients want to see that kind of thing. And I don't know, I have a picture of them. They always do the CPR too. So I always have a picture of that. It's always interesting to see who is really staying on top of that and who sees the value in pushing that out. So if you've got any social media accounts you need to be on top of, make sure you push that out there. Anytime you go for CE, really, I think mm-hmm. it's important the patients see that. Now, OSHA is not necessarily concerned with the public. That's what I've been always been told. They're not concerned with the public. They're concerned with the employee. Mm-hmm. That's the distinction that I always thought was very interesting is people are like, oh, you know, it's an OSHA violation to not clean the instruments well and all that kind of stuff. And that's not necessarily the truth, right? OSHA is all concerned about your working conditions. So yes and no.
1: Like OSHA totally focuses on employee safety, a safe work environment. So from the time you come in to the time you leave, you're supposed to be safe no matter what it does include uh sterilization sort of they're starting to kind of include all of that because you have to you know make sure that you have proper you know equipment that's working because if for instance I'll give you an example if there's let's say an autoclave that's malfunctioning and it's not working properly, but you as the employee go to the autoclave and you, you know, all of the indicators have turned and everything. And so you think that everything is sterilized and you go to grab that instrument pack and, you know, you get injured somehow because the sharp instrument, you know, tore through the pouch and you, you Got, you know, um, an exposure somehow, that malfunctioning sterilizer is a workplace hazard. It's an occupational hazard. And so there's a lot of little intricate details, um, a lot of things that overlap. But for the most part, you are correct in that OSHA really focuses on the employees. It's not, it does not really include kind of standards that would apply to the patient or the public. Yeah. So
0: you're, you're correct on that. Well, it's a good differentiator for me to kind of keep track on that and maybe for the people who are listening you know that that's really kind of a good way of looking at it and but I understand what you're saying because I remember one time I was consulting I went into an office and the eye wash was like all oh, on the faucet was like I wouldn't put my eye in it. it was disgusting I don't even think it worked it was just it had been there I don't even the reason I bring that up is because eye washes are to protect the mm-hmm. employee. If there's something that happens, gets in the eye, you're supposed to be able to walk over there and take care of that. Obviously, and I didn't bring that up because it's not, I was a baby consultant, didn't, was in there for something else. I didn't want to rock the boat, admin, or not admin, the clinical girl. Actually, to be honest, looked a little mean, so I didn't right. bring that up. But <laughs> that would have been an example, it sounds like, of a workplace that was putting the employee at risk. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, the eyewash station is
1: something that protects employees from any type of eye injury. You know, your eyewash station, fire extinguisher, a properly functioning sterilization equipment. Let's see what else. Uh there's a lot of things I do when I go into my client's office, I do kind of like a mock OSHA inspection for them and we in and, and it addresses all of those things. I mean, even down to like the circuit breaker and Oh wow. the first aid kit even though you do have you know, the first aid kit has a dual role because it's there for patient emergencies, but also you need a first aid kit for your employees. And so I train my teams on having a little bit more of a robust first aid kit be- instead of just the typical Band-Aids and, you know, alcohol wipes, because you just never know. You don't know what's going to happen. You know, so absolutely um, making sure that there are referral arrangements established if there's any type of occupational injury that happens, um, you know, to a patient, um, I'm sorry, to an employee, if in case they need a little bit more medical help than just what the first aid kit can provide. And so, so there's a lot of things that come into play here uh, when it comes to OSHA and employee safety.
0: You mentioned mock audit. Let's let's take this from a manager point of view. Maybe audience, if you're listening, maybe you're a new manager or maybe your manager that's been tasked to focus on this for the first time. And you're taking a look at this. You're listening to this podcast. India's India's giving you all this information. You mentioned a few things already. You know, are the instruments working? Eyewash emergency kit. If I'm a new manager and I'm trying to just make a case that, hey, we need to up our OSHA game and infection control game, what are a few things that be like big red flags if you walked in and saw them? So
1: I always start with the administrative, the record keeping area. That's a really big focus for inspectors period, whether they're from the dental board, whether they're from OSHA. uh, That is something that, and the dental board deals more again with like infection control breaches and stuff. OSHA inspectors are going to come in and deal with how safe is the work environment based on the complaint that was submitted when you first walk into a practice as a new manager if you don't see an osha binder if you don't see training logs from the last three four five years whatever um, if you don't see employee records where to check to see if there's been any incidents if you don't see an incident log in the employee health records, if you don't see proof for the clinical employees for tuberculosis and um, a TB test and hepatitis B verification. Oh my gosh, I forgot about all those.
0: Oh no, those too. (laughs) Yeah, so
1: if you don't see on the administrative side in the record keeping area, those things, it's a really good indicator that the OSHA program is not as strong as it needs to be. And that most likely, on the clinical side, OSHA is not being addressed. And so I'm actually an inspector for the state where I practice, I'm in Maryland. Although I focus, you know, our dental board focuses on infection control breaches, as an inspector, when I go in for an official inspection, if the record keeping is not organized, it's not in order, I have a good idea that there are some things that are not happening in the rest of the office, and so it's a really big red flag for an inspector. And so we, you know, for those of us who are pretty experienced with that, we know like, okay, we're definitely going to find some breaches or violations back in the back, you know. So as a manager, that's could be a really good indicator if the office has been keeping up on, you know, uh, OSHA training, the required OSHA training and. You know, some of those other things like the, the incident log, if you have a lot of incidents that are happening, that lets you know that maybe the SHARP safety program is not intact. If you don't see any training logs, then you kind of know, okay, when's the last time they've even had training?
0: Oh yeah. I'm sure that's a big (laughs) one. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Right. If you don't see an OSHA binder, which has all the information it's required to have an OSHA binder, most likely you're not having, you didn't have like the required training and stuff going on, things like that.
0: I noticed on your site, you have some free forums too Mm -hmm. that people can take a look at and like activity logs and stuff. Do you want to talk to them about what, what you offer? For um, the free stuff. And, sure. and then when you're on that site, there's a lot of courses you guys can take a look at. Right. Us managers love it. We love forms. And if we don't have <laughs> to create one, we're like so happy. So, right.
1: <laughs> so on my uh, website, it's uh, learn to preventcom you can go to the e-learning tab. And when you scroll down, you'll see it's a, it's, it's set up like a course on the learning platform, but it's uh, free dental safety logs. And so it has like the incident log there. It has the training log there. It has, oh gosh, it has so many other forms. Some of the forms apply on the infection control side, like your dental unit, waterline testing, like different things like that. But for the most part it has all of your forms that you would need in order to make sure that your OSHA record keeping is current it's up to date and um, it has all of the required pieces that you need and you they're downloadable you you know you create an account you can visit that account anytime you need it and uh, and we're always adding we're about to add some more because you know um, since the pandemic there have been more complaints on both from dental you know, to dental boards and to OSHA. And so we're just trying to make sure that offices have all of the record keeping items that they need. So yeah, definitely visit. It's, it will always be free because, you know, I just feel like these are just important pieces to make sure that you are protecting the practice and the practice is maintaining safe dentistry. And it's just, it's, you know, we just wanna bring a lot of value to people, so.
0: And one thing I, I noticed, you know, just working with so many managers over the years is that there's a a quick move to delegate the OSHA manual to a clinical team member. Although that makes sense for maybe making sure that things are tracked and all of that, I'm going to challenge managers. That's not really as appropriate as you think it is. Although it is nice, it makes sense, yes, that clinical team members should. As a manager, that's still part of your purview and you should be making sure that it's completed and that it's being kept current. So if you delegate it, just you need to check in on it, because if India walks into your office, a response, an appropriate response is not going to be, well, that was Jill's job. And so Jill didn't take care of it. So I guess, you know, what can I say? Well, you're the manager. So that's really supposed to be under you. So don't, you know, don't blame it on Jill. Poor Jill. Yeah. (laughs) You know, even though Jill may be completely lazy, you know, really, as a manager, it's it is on you to do that. And then, you know, even going a step higher in leadership, doctors, anytime you delegate to your manager, those, this is one of the key systems that's going to get you fined. That's why you have to pay attention to these things. I talk in my classes all the time. I always pay attention to the things that are going to cost me money and the things that are going to make me money and fines cost you a lot of money.
1: Yeah. And you know, some of these violations can actually close the doors and it's not going to be like the pandemic where the government is going to give you a PP, was that PPP loan? Yeah. So if you get the doors closed because of OSHA or the dental board, you don't get a loan to continue to cover expenses, right? You end up having to pay. So how I approach that with my clients is we kind of divide the duties up, um, but we have a main person that kind of oversees everything. So if I'm working with a practice who has a practice manager, how we approach it is anything that has to do with like administrative record keeping and things like that like training logs, the OSHA binder, hepatitis B, vaccination, verification, TB testing, that tends to be delegated to either the practice manager, or if the practice owner, or the practice owner, but if they he or she can't handle that, then they would, we make sure that that's delegated to an administrative team member. As far as like any of the record keeping that has to deal with the clinical side. Which could potentially be a whole nother podcast. I implement what we call, and the CDC recommends this, they've been recommending this for a long time, an infection control coordinator. And so the infection control coordinator handles all of the record keeping that has to deal with the clinical side, like maintenance on equipment, dental unit water line safety, all of that when you're testing and all of that kind of stuff. And then that practice owner or that office manager makes sure that they, kind of oversee, make sure that infection control coordinator is handling and, you know, checking up on them, making them accountable. Uh, Because some of what that infection control coordinator is doing does have to do with OSHA and employee safety, like flushing the eyewash station. You know, so we try to kind of divide that up from the administrative side and the clinical side, but then have everybody work together as a team. So that's a way that you can implement all of this in and streamline it, make it a little bit more simple uh, so that it's not all falling on one person, but everybody's kind of working together as a team. Because at the end of the day, safety in the practice, whether it's for the employee or the patient, is a team effort. It's not just one person, right?
0: I love it. And so
1: that's how I approach it with my practice managers we divide it up and then the practice manager would oversee kind of everything to make sure. The practice manager also would be in charge of like scheduling the trainings. If you have someone coming in like myself, or if you're going to provide the OSHA training, uh, you know, you're the one that would be in charge of that piece. Oh my
0: goodness. Yeah. The training is part of CE. It's tax deductible. I know you're doing it virtually for a lot of people. I would not do it myself. That's the one thing I would not do myself. I would hire you in a heartbeat because I'm just like, oh, OSHA chick is coming. We have to pay attention and I can eat my pizza. Yeah. You know, it's easier. And there are a lot
1: of like little details that you have to know. And like in somebody like me, this is what we do full time. Like our whole job is like focused on like what's going on with OSHA? What's updated? What's this? And practice managers and practice owners can't possibly keep track of all that because you have a practice to run, right? You have to do dentistry. And so, and same with like, if you have like an OSHA safety um, officer in the practice, most of the time uh, these roles are dual roles because they are clinical or they're administrative. They have another job, full-time job to do, you know? And so having someone like myself come in really is the way to go. Because when you're providing the training also, too, there might be questions and you want to get those questions answered to make sure that, you know, you're implementing everything correctly.
0: So, Oh, I have lots of questions. All right. So just so speaking <laughs> to that, I have lots of questions. Okay, so okay. You, you said you do audits for Maryland. So first things first, you do audits on OSHA. Um, infection control. Infection control. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when somebody, you said earlier, when somebody calls and report so in response to a complaint somebody may come in and check on osha it's typically an employee right because that's what osha investigates infection control who is who is reporting what prompts the call it says india i got an office for you we just got a complaint who's calling to complain on that
1: so typically when you get an inspection from the dental board it's a patient that is called to complain It doesn't necessarily have to be about infection control. Sometimes what will happen is a patient will call and complain and do a written complaint about the the dental treatment that was delivered to them. And what ends up happening is that an infection control uh, inspection will be attached to that to go in and inspect. It's just you know it's just something that happens so for you practice owners out there um be mindful of what you're doing because they always attach for i mean i would say like 99 percent of the time let's say the complaint is about periodontal disease and you didn't do the treatment right there's most likely going to be an infection control inspection that gets attached to that and oh, we go in and we yeah yeah so It's just a way for the lawyers to kind of like expand the case in a way, if that's the right legal jargon.
0: So, I mean, it makes sense because you're there. You are. I mean, that's your purview. It's the board's purview to be able to look at that. So why not take a look at that? And and it's probably covering you as the inspector because you're likely to see something. And if you don't have that capability, then you're kind of going, well, now what do I do? Now you got to go back and make another, you know, file another form. So I think that's right. good that it allows you to be able to look. So from your point of view, that's good. From the office's point of view, that's terrifying.
1: So Yeah, exactly. But, you know, it's part of safe dentistry. Like if, if the if the board gets a complaint that the patient didn't feel safe, they feel like you did not perform their procedures properly and things like that part of safe dentistry is making sure that the infection control piece was done properly too. And so that's why it all gets put into the same kind of bowl and and the whole inspection, you know, that's a piece of the case. On the other side with OSHA and employee safety, um, that's most of the time, that's an employee making a complaint. Uh, And I will say with both, whether it's a complaint so OSHA doesn't just do random inspections, they will, um, they're complaint driven. And so what they do is they'll do a preliminary um, investigation where they'll take the complaint, they'll look over it. And 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 if a live in-person inspection uh, happens after that preliminary investigation is done, because they want to make sure that this isn't a disgruntled employee, this isn't just fake, a fake inspection because you don't like, this Is might be your neighbor and you don't like them or something like that. So,
0: <laughs> you know, so, you know, the dentist is your neighbor, right? I was going to say new dentist moves into town all of a sudden He's getting inspected. your neighbor inspected. And you don't
1: like what he did in his lawn or something and you're like making a complaint. <laughs> so, you know, so they do a preliminary investigation to make sure that it warrants an in-person inspection you know they'll come to the office same thing on the dental board side you know they get the complaint they have to read over it and it has to warrant an in-person inspection and so most states now not all but most states from the dental board side are complaint driven there are some states that are um, like random inspections but the way they do it the dentist is informed ahead of time and all that kind of stuff so i mean that's kind of how the process works um with OSHA and infection control.
0: So you come in and you find something and I'm like freaking out. So am I shut down? I know every state's different, but do I have a time period where I can fix it and then you come back in and give me a stamp or am I on probation? I mean, what What does that look like? Say I have a violation and it's not like one of those that's going to kill everybody on site. Like I'm not leaking gas or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Like OSHA, if they find leaking gas
1: there, you're closing down right then and there. Right. Right. Right.
0: right. (laughs) But but you know what I mean? Like something that could be fixed and and probably an honest mistake.
1: Right. So most likely how that works is. um, So when you go in as the inspector, you you go through, you know, you have a checklist, you go through that. You have to take pictures and things like that. Um, you ask questions, like if you don't, if you, if there's a checklist item, and you don't like see it on your own, or find it on your own, you have to ask, you know, a team member or something like that. For the most part, I mean, unless it's absolutely egregious, like what we were talking about, we collect the information, we leave, we go, we pre- create an, uh, we prepare a report, and we submit it. And then it goes to the dental board, and the dental board puts that sends that information, um, communicates to the dentist and their lawyer and all of that kind of stuff. So that's how it works. And then they determine kind of the outcome. You know, it's kind of like a, you know, a court. They determine if the office, if the dentist is liable, do they get their uh, license suspended? Do they get it revoked? Does the office get shut down? Like, how does all of that work? Is this all public? All that information is public? Or After not- it happens, it is. And so like in my state, we get a quarterly printed newsletter sent to any licensed professional in our state and any licensed dentist or hygienist. And it's public information who got in trouble, basically, you know, for the last like quarter or two quarters or last year or whatever.
0: So there's like the naughty list. There's like the real nasty list, uh, naughty and nasty.
1: Right. And then on the OSHA <laughs> side, it's public you know, you can go onto the OSHA website and see which dentists and dental labs got in trouble and what was the fine and stuff like that. And so. Oh, wait, dental labs.
0: So you go in and inspect dental labs, too. Are they a big
1: offender? Yeah. So OSHA inspectors can inspect. They inspect dental labs and everything because there's, you know, safety issues there, too. Sure. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, the employees might not be safe you know, there might be an infection control breach or something, you know, violation, something like that. Does that happen often? I mean, our labs, one of those. Not really, because, you know, you don't, it's not like a dental office, right? It's not like a dental office where patients are in there and, you know, they're not really, that's more on the OSHA side. Like, you know, an employee might complain that it was an unsafe environment or something like that. Yeah, but there, there, it's right all on, you know, OSHA website. Not too many, but um, I think there was one, if I r- recall right, there was one like in Hawaii, a Hawaii dental lab got in trouble and they got fined a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. So it was un- unsafe um, employee, you know, unsafe uh, environment for employees.
0: How did you become an inspector? That's just so, it's fascinating to me <laughs> because you walk into an office the first time you're inspecting. Do you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm on the other side like, going on here. How did this happen? How did that career evolution go? So I got asked by the board, I
1: got appointed by the board to be and I got asked if I was interested in doing it. I'm like, yes, I want to do this. Right. <laughs> um, and by the way, little side note, I am not allowed to inspect any offices that are my clients. That's conflict of interest. So I would oh, never that's do good. that. So yeah.
0: Maryland offices should hire you like immediately. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. So any,
1: you know, no, no I don't, Um, I'm not allowed to do that. Um, And I would just decline it, like if it happened to be my client, but um, it better not be any of my clients. right? (laughs) (laughs) I've done a lot of work with them. They're going to get a, you know, slap on the wrist if they do that. But anyway, (laughs) I got involved basically with uh, this whole entire career change by, I was a, consulting for an office uh, helping them build their dental hygiene department and part of that was to create a CE program for the team and so you know having people come in and provide CE and different things like that and one of the practice nurse was like, hey, we need OSHA training. We haven't had it. I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, we've got it. Let's do that too. And and I uh, happened to chat with the, at the time, she was the leading kind of OSHA infection control trainer here in my area. And, and she just was like, hey, what's your end game? And sometimes there are certain words that you have with people that are buzzwords for you and they kind of trigger something and you're like, "Endgame, game, hmm, what are you talking about? And so we just started to chat and she said, Hey, I'm retiring. You know, there's going to be offices that need help. And so it just kind of progressed from there. And I just kind of started, I got started and just started to really kind of network. And I did a lot of training uh, because even though I've been in dentistry a long time, there's so much that we need to know, right? You know there's so much that i just wasn't paying attention to you know as i'm you know treating my patients i'm trying to do my best and like you said earlier it's not intentional all the time you're like you know you're trying to deliver safe dentistry you're trying to make sure the whole room is taken care of and wiped down and you know on the admin side i started out in administrative role in dentistry and you're trying to do all the right stuff but there's still so much and so i just dove in i got a lot of training i went to osap so for any of those practice managers that don't know about OSAP. It's the organization uh, for safety and asepsis for dentistry. And so it is the only organization in the United States that is totally dedicated to safety, safe dentistry. And so it's osap.org for any of those who don't know that, but it's an awesome resource for practice managers. And, um,
0: and they have an annual session.
1: Yes, they do. They do. They do too. They do a boot camp in January, and then I think in June they do like a conference. And that that boot camp is coming up actually. You know, I got involved, and that's how I just began to network, and I got clients. And then the board called and said, um, "Hey, would you be interested?" And I was like, "Absolutely." And you know, the one thing is, we're not the enemy when we walk into the office because sometimes people, you know. It's like, oh my God, they're coming to shut us down. That's not really the goal. We don't want to shut down. The dental board doesn't want to shut offices down. OSHA doesn't want to shut off. It's bad down. for the
0: patients. Like, it leaves a lot of patients in the lurch.
1: Yeah, and OSHA doesn't want to shut an office down. You know, we know that these are human beings that are involved in you know this whole thing, and and we don't want to shut an office down. What we want to do is make it a safe environment. And so the goal is to go in do the inspection, give the dentist time to address all of these issues to get it right, and implement the uh, proper protocols and the systems that you need in place to make sure that you're delivering a safe dental visit for everybody involved. That's really the goal. So the dental boards really try to work with the practice owner to give them some time, same with OSHA, OSHA, what they'll do is when you come in and, 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 well, when they come in, they will give you like, you know, you'll receive, the practice owner will receive the violations and then you have some time to address those and then they'll come back and then they'll take a look at everything and they'll say, okay, you did it, we're fine. Okay, we're gonna reduce the fine and here's what you have to pay or whatever the situation may be. But yeah, there's always, some grace given, right, to be able to address these issues and then, you know, make sure that the dental practice is aware that they implement what they're supposed to implement. And then that way they can move on and deliver safe dentistry. So that's really the goal. We're not there to kind of like. Yeah, bring the hammer.
0: You know, sometimes it's necessary to bring the hammer. You know, what I mean. You know, I was going to say, are there frequent flyers?
1: There are frequent flyers. And oh, sometimes man. it is necessary you know, I have a client, no names, no names. (laughs) But um, yeah, I mean, I had to go in. It was a long process. We had to like, go in, we had to like, do everything because What was the resistance? Like, why did you have to keep going in? He got his license suspended and he because for some other stuff, but they again, they attached an infection control uh, inspection, and the inspector came in and said no go. And so there was no patients being seen for I think, three, four months. And think about the financial impact that has on not just the practice owner.
0: But the team has to be thinking, I got to jump ship because this can't,
1: this can't continue. That's the thing. And so, and so that's what I try to tell the teams like, hey, listen, if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing and buying in and supporting and making the team effort, this can affect your bottom line too. Because like I said, when a, dental offices shut down for a breach whether it's infection control or an osha violation you're not getting a ppp loan to still get your paycheck every week you know and there are some offices who actually run financially from month to month or week to week or however the situation may be sad you know what i mean and so they can't afford to be shut down i don't think any office for the most part could be shut down for 3 to 4 months without any income whatsoever coming in and and be able to kind of make it through. You know, that's what happens and it was a pretty big deal. I mean, and so we had to just start from square one and just rebuild his whole infection control program. Re, you know, actually not rebuild, we had to build one cuz that's why he
0: <laughs> got in trouble, right? And same with OSHA. I remember when I was hiring, I would Look at the resumes of people who were applying. Obviously, we knew which offices were shady. We knew which offices had problem, you know, doctors. And whenever I saw somebody coming from one of those offices and they had worked there for a while, I always was like, eh, because they were there for a while. They saw stuff going on. We all know. We all know who those offices are. And if you don't know because you're newer to management, start talking to people around you. You'll find out who these (laughs) offices are pretty quickly (laughs) because the patients they refer are a mess. Their systems are a mess. And I would not hire people from these jobs. So if you're in an office that is doing shady stuff, I mean, it's not just the doctor who gets noticed. Mm -hmm. Hiring managers will see where you're working, where you've been trained and realize you may be in charge of OSHA at that office. But we know that that office really has no OSHA. So what's that about? Right. Yeah. One other question that I had for you. When you went in and started doing, you know, your audits and stuff. So this is where I want to get kind of into the fun, fun part of it. Not fun, but you know, kind of <laughs> right. the, the juicy details. Yes. <laughs> right. First of all, what shocked you? Was there one instance, of, and of course, no names. Right. But were there one or two cases where you're just like, "What the heck is going on? I have never seen something like this before." Or is there a reaction that was unexpected? I mean, I just I want to hear kind of the the juicy side. I'll just give you some examples from the pandemic. I mean,
1: those alone kind of blew my mind. I had an office ask me, could they use a beef jerky food dryer to sterilize masks what
0: <laughs> bacon flavor mask is that oh okay, um,
1: maybe we need to um have a second training this year. <laughs>
0: did you feel like you were getting
1: punked? Like <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. I already did your training, right? So, like what why am I getting this vocal? You know, another office called, "Can we microwave um masks? Can we, you know, it was just so much crazy stuff going on. Can we use yeah. like a Crock-Pot?" I mean, it was like one after the other and I'm like, <laughs> "What what's going on?" So, <laughs> where am I? And then there was um, an office that, where sterilization just wasn't happening, not happening. The instruments were just being rinsed and rebagged. When I see something like that, you know, I do have to exhale because I'm like, oh my God, this is insane because, you know, this is a public health issue. At this point, I'm not concerned if you don't have the budget for sterilization pouches because you need to have it. So there are situations that I've been involved in where Okay, like I said, the sterilization instruments were just being rinsed off, put in pouches and put in drawers. Let's see, just malfunctioning equipment that you're supposed to have, no gloves being used when you're treating patients.
0: That still goes on.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Same gloves being used from patient to patient, same PPE being used from patient to patient. Mm -mm Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, I mean, things are being disinfected that are supposed to be sterilized, you know, so it's getting wiped down, but it's not being sterilized, right? Gosh, there's there's just a lot that I've seen uh, single-use during oral surgery, single-use items that absolutely need to be thrown away
0: and disposed of being used on multiple patients. Like saliva ejectors, high-speed evacuation. More so like with
1: oral surgery, so you have like oh i can't think of the term when you're putting a patient to sleep and they're about to have oral surgery there are some pieces to different things like the iv and different stuff like that that are disposable and they were not being disposed of they were being wiped yeah they were being disinfected and used on multiple patients and so there are some like egregious things that i've seen and that i've actually witnessed and i'm like whoa you know what I mean? Like, no. And so um, there's been times where I've walked in as with clients and I've seen things and I'm like, oh no, 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 no. Like that absolutely has to stop right then and there. One of the things that, you know, I tend to find sometimes when I walk into a client's office, you know, if a piece of equipment, like let's say in the sterilization area is malfunctioning and it's broken, I've seen this multiple times. There will be some type of solution that is created by someone in the practice and they'll just go ahead and implement that and that's how they'll start doing their sterilization <laughs> and their cleaning of the instruments and things like that and i'm like wait a minute no 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 no. who told who taught you to do this and why did they tell you to do it? oh we just figured that you know as long as you know we're rinsing stuff you know whatever the case may be. and i'm like no we have to do it court. According- there's a reason why you know there's a process and there's a reason why the cdc recommends this the process to be like this or there's a reason why osha mandates the process to be like this because some of the science is behind it you know we can see that
0: it's effective and things like that and so what if like mary jane taught me that if i bag instruments and hopped around on one foot while i did it that's not going to do it like those old right right <laughs> those old reasons it's why. funny you
1: bring that up about someone teaching you because my podcast partner and I, we have a podcast and it's all focused on infection control, but we talk about that. It's they're called legacy errors. And so it's all oh, idea with those yeah, with insurance, yeah, so all the same time. Same with insurance yeah. and on the administrative side, we have those on the clinical side. And that's why as a practice manager, it does make sense for you to have a consultant to come in regarding OSHA and infection control. So, cause that's somebody who's trained, who's educated, who knows all of the rules and regulations and standards that can really address a lot of those legacy errors that could actually, you know, expand the infection control breaches or expand the violations that are happening in the back and really make for an unsafe dental visit and an unsafe working environment. And so we try to really battle and come against those legacy errors because it's just really tough. And there's a process in how you address those. There's a process in how you kind of remove those <laughs>
0: out of the practice. Yeah, well, cause you're, you're the new person coming in and you know, what do you know? And, right. I mean, you being a, an inspector, you have a little bit of cloud right. behind you, but if Gina is starting the next day and she's like, what is this? Why are you hopping on one foot? Yeah. Why are we doing it like this? So I have two scenarios that I'd love some comment on. I've been in many offices where they have a counter. So say it's like a galley style Mm -hmm. infection control area. So there's the dirty side and there's the clean side. Okay. Which is pretty common. So a lot of people I see are drinking their coffee and stuff and they put it on the clean side. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) Is that I mean, that doesn't seem like it's far enough away. (laughs) No, it's not. It's
1: not. And, you know, OSHA, remember I said OSHA is a legal entity and we have to follow Every single state, every single practice has to follow what OSHA says. And so in the bloodborne pathogen uh, standard of OSHA, it talks about no food, no drink, cosmetics, things like that, Do, put in your contact lenses, and, like all of that kind of stuff needs to be out of the work, clinical work area. So even if it's on the clean side, it's not allowed. So you have to leave, <laughs> you know, I have a slide in my presentation that says lunch stays in the kitchen. Yeah because all of that, for the clinical team members, all of that has to be um, out of the clinical working area. So that means your sterilization area, your operatories, the hallway, all of that, you know, the hallway in the clinical area, all of that. Cause I've, I've been in offices where they like to put, you know, maybe they have a computer in the hallway and uh, everybody's got like all their snacks and drinks and everything. And it's like, oh, no, yeah. that's part of the clinical area. So
0: all of this needs to be out of that area. Okay. So that's interesting because there are little cubby holes everywhere that people have and people think, okay, I can stick my drink. Yeah. There. And you can't. That's a no, no. Oh, wow. I just upset a lot of people. Well, yeah, I know. I know. They're going to be like, <laughs>
1: why did you have her on here, Teresa?
0: <laughs> Girl, it's hot with this <laughs> right? PPE. I need my drink. What's going on? Why'd you do that? Yeah. Maybe you can put it in a box with the top. Right? I don't know. No, just <laughs> don't do it. Just, just don't, don't do, do it. Do it. All right, so here's the other thing that I see hotly debated okay. on Facebook forums, and since since it's OSHA, I just kind of sit back or infection control. I just sit back and go, let's see what happens here because the claws, as it were, come out. So here we go, <laughs> the fake nails. Oh, so yes. fake nails. Now I love my fake nails <laughs> sure. when I get them; they're beautiful. But I'm upfront. Right. When I was an assistant, I never got my nails done, anyways, because I couldn't keep anything on them. But you have people who do double duty. And then you also have people who are like, stuff I get on my nails is going to stick. It's all right. What is the rule with fake nails? Is it different for gel dip? And this is where I lose all the men that are listening. Is it different for (laughs) gel dip? Is it different for the attachments? You know, what's up with that? Is there a length like to trim, like all of that? So
1: it is, the CDC says a quarter inch. And so it needs to be very, very short. Also too, there are a lot of studies that have been done, scientific studies that have been done on you know, artificial nails, chipped nail polish, they're just really good reservoirs for bacteria. That's why there's this, you know, recommendation and this standard that they be, you know, at a certain length. I always say, this is how I train, I always say um, quarter inch, and then making sure that you at least have a manicure because the cuticles are um, actually a good barrier for any kind of pathogen or anything. So you do need to oh, keep interesting. Okay, you do need to keep like some form of a manicure going on on a regular basis, because, you know, if not, then you have basically skin tears and things like that, hang nails and all of that, which are openings for infection to get into your body. And that is very common with us because we do a lot of hand hygiene. We have dry skin, we have, you know, um, skin irritations, our cuticles, things like that. So it is important to maintain manicure your nails in some way. So men too, men have to pay attention to that. Absolutely. Yep. Men and women both need to make sure that they're doing a manicure. You want to be careful with the nail polish because if you are not a person that is going to maintain it, okay, and then it's chipping and things like that. Again, it's a great reservoir. That's where bacteria kind of hangs out in the chips.
0: Underneath the, Underneath like
1: the gel, the artificial nails, things like that. The concern with artificial nails and gel manicures is that typically people will get this service done and the nails are not the right length. They're a little too long. The problem with having nails too long is that your PPE is not gonna fit properly. So your gloves aren't gonna fit properly. And with wearing gloves that do not fit properly, you increase your risk for an occupational hazard because your gloves are too big and so you're trying to deal with instruments you're trying to deal with for instance and I t- I've told this story a lot of times um, there was a dental assistant in one of the offices I was in she had on gloves that were a size medium and she was supposed to be wearing a size small and she was contouring with a high-speed handpiece a temp crown and the excess part of the glove because the glove was too big got wrapped around the drill okay wrapped around the burr and she lost control of the burr and she actually drilled into her thumbnail, into her nail bed and oh had to go to the emergency gosh. room and everything, but it was because the gloves were too big. So with artificial nails, whether they're gel manicure, whether they're you know, definitely artificial nails, you have to be careful that you're not wearing uh, PPE that doesn't fit you properly, particularly gloves. So that is why there are these rules. It's not to make your life harder, it's not to make you, your hands look ugly and all of this. It's just to make sure that you are maintaining safety at all times because there's a domino effect that can happen. So that's kind of what I train and that's what I recommend. Um, You know, just follow what the CDC and OSHA is saying about that because it's going to help you. Again, it's not to say that you don't, you know, get your nails painted or you don't get gel manicure or you don't get artificial nails, but they just need to be at a certain um, length and they need to be maintained. If you can't, afford to maintain them, it's probably best for you to just have your natural nails and just get like manicures or do your own manicure on a regular basis.
0: My situation was always I was filling in when, of course, somebody would call out. And as we know, we're dealing with shortages everywhere. So managers are putting on their scrubs more than ever, and they're doing double duty. That's It sounds like that's a sacrifice they're going to have to make is to make sure that their nails are are trimmed for their own, not even a sacrifice, a step to maintain their own safety. Because that story about the nail bed, uh, the thumb, that's terrifying. Yeah, yeah. And I
1: mean, if you, I mean, I've seen it. I've seen team members who have super long nails and they have gloves on that just do not fit, but they have to put those on because. They need a bigger size to cover the nail all the and to have the glove cover all the way down past their wrists. So they're putting on a glove and they're loose and they're just fumbling and it's just, it can be a real disaster. And so if you are a dual role employee or you have any team members that have dual roles, it is something that can be written into the employee handbook, okay? Um, you can make like an internal kind of protocol that you want, you know, you you will need to notify everybody like you can't just say you know you can't pick and choose who you're going to do this to you know and it needs to be written you I recommend always like especially with this whole nails hygiene situation I've had doctors say well we never even wrote that into our employee handbook and I'm like okay well you'll just print up a protocol it needs to be written and everybody will read it they'll sign it You know, the practice owner kind of and the practice manager, you know, you guys have to decide how you're going to deliver that to the team. But I just recommend for HR purposes, it's written, everybody signs it. And then you give your team members a deadline to say, okay, by this time, you know, this is where the nail hygiene needs to be because, you know, you're on the clinical side. I have to adhere as a practice owner to the CDC and OSHA. And so this is where we're going to go with that but definitely that would be my recommendation for that.
0: You said uh, drinks in the clinical bad. What about me up front? I'm always like, I always have to have a Diet Coke or a thing of water nearby. Am I okay? Does it need to have a lid? What's what's my protocol? For the ad- administrative team, you're allowed to have
1: like a drink or food or whatever. You know, that's just, it's really an internal kind of protocol. Like if as the practice manager, you don't want drinks there, then you don't have drinks. But OSHA really deals more with the clinical side of things. So my recommendation though, when practices ask me this question is, yes, I wouldn't allow like food or anything like that, but if they want to have a drink, but it should be covered or should have a cap, you know what I mean? And it should be out of the way. It shouldn't just be out because you're conducting business here, right? And so we want to maintain professional appearance you know we want to make sure that you know we have a lot of technology around we don't want things spilling and all this
0: because you knocked it over by accident uh yeah that was my big reason
1: you know so a lot of offices just say hey look keep all that in the lunchroom because this is expensive this is an expense that is you know would be pretty large if we had to replace it and so um you can certainly do something like that
0: you know yes
1: the admin team can have Bottle of
0: water or something like that up front. Yeah. Thank God. Yeah. I just know what my audience is thinking. They're like, oh my God, I need my I need my coffee. I need my my diet
1: soda (laughs) in the afternoon, whatever it is. Right. Yeah. And the thing, the reason why you kind of want to like make it discreet is because from a team perspective, that could be interpreted as the administrative team gets more favoritism than we do on the clinical side, and it just causes contention. It is good to kind of, if your admin team is going to have drinks or something, make it discreet, let's not like rub it in anybody's face that, hey, I can have a drink up here and you can't have them
0: right because
1: those little things are little small seeds that get planted and then they grow into something bigger and what we're trying to do to do is promote teamwork right but we're also trying to promote a culture of safety across the whole entire team all have to be involved in that and so Try to encourage everybody, make it discreet if you're going to allow your admin team to have
0: drinks uh, in, the, in the front. Or make a little bar up there where everybody goes in between patients. I mean, <laughs> hey, that's an awesome, like just don't have any alcoholic beverages. <laughs> but
1: that's an awesome kind of team activity, team approach, a, a benefit. I mean, how awesome would that be? And that doesn't really cost a lot of money. So
0: No, and it is definitely, I mean, with PPE, I feel for them. I mean, it's hot.
1: Yeah. And you have to, you have to stay hydrated. I mean, that's part of employee safety too. Like you have to make sure that you're taking a break. You have to make sure that you, you know, on the clinical side with all this PPE and the respirator masks, you know, it makes your lungs work harder now. And so people are experiencing a lot of different physical conditions that they weren't
0: before. So that's something that practice managers need to keep in mind. That's a great idea, actually. So check in with your clinical team members and say how are you doing. Yeah. You know, what, what's the remedy though? Like, as far as if you are feeling that, and and I know that we're we're going to wrap up here sure. because I could ask you a million <laughs> questions, but let's just wrap up with this. If you think that there's some struggle going on, maybe they're not staying hydrated, maybe they're having trouble breathing. Like, what's the remedy on that? Do you just schedule less? Are you? I mean, how how do you handle that? You just other than checking in with them and making sure that you they see that you care. I mean, what do you do?
1: So I think sometimes where the breakdown happens between the front and the back is in this area, right? Which are this question right here, um, as far as that push for like, you have to stay on time no matter what. You have got to take this patient in right on the dot. You know, I don't care. They have to be in. And a lot of times, you know, as a clinician and I was on both sides, but more so on the clinical side, you do feel a lot of pressure from the administrative team to make sure that you're on time to make sure that you get every single thing done that was put on the schedule and have your room, you know, turned over properly, have the instruments reprocessed and everything like that. And so I think there needs to be more grace given to the clinical side, because that's one of the things that I notice when I'm going in to do an inspection, um, mock inspections with clients. We do address that because now there's a lot more PPE that's worn. It causes a lot more uh, physical stress on the body, a lot more fatigue a lot of people are experiencing headaches and things like that they're not mentioning it they're not saying it but they are going through all of this and so there needs to be some grace given that you need to be allowed to go to the bathroom during the day you need to be allowed to go and get a drink of water that's actually could be an osha violation like if an employee were to leave or they are there and they complain about that like you're not creating an environment for me to stay safe because me not going, being able to go to the bathroom for eight hours or four hours and then lunchtime. And I'm, a, you know, that increases our, and just to be real, it increases UTIs. You know, my job is giving me, I'm getting sick by working here, right? I'm not staying hydrated. I'm not allowed to even go grab a drink of water because I've got to stay on time or whatever. There has to be a conversation between because every office works different, right? Everybody has a different a length of time for appointments, everybody uh, has a different type of schedule. So, there really needs to be a conversation. I recommend that practice managers, especially for the dental hygienists, because most offices, the dental hygienists don't have an assistant. So, they literally have to do everything that the assistant and the dentist do right on their side, not necessarily procedure wise, but they have to deliver the treatment. Then they have to take care of their room. They have to go get the patient. They have to review medical history. They have to do everything that maybe the assistant helps the doctor do.
0: Yeah, good point. And so
1: what ends up happening is the dental hygiene department doesn't get the same grace a lot of times as like, cause 'cause let's face it, if the dentist has to go to the bathroom, the assistant can handle taking the x-rays. The assistant can handle doing the medical history review or whatever, and vice versa, not necessarily x-rays, but the doc can review, or the doc can be a couple minutes late, or if the assistant has to go reprocess instruments, the doc might say, okay, go ahead, this is a good time for you to go ahead and do that. With dental hygienists, we can't do that. And so I think there needs to be just a conversation, a check in is always good with the dental hygienist, even the dental assistant, like the whole clinical team, hey, how are you guys feeling about, you know, do you have time to go to the bathroom during the day? Do you feel like you have time to get a drink of water? Like, what can we do? How can we find a solution, come to a solution that's a happy medium to where everybody is happy, Everybody is working in a safe environment and we're addressing these issues. And a lot of times that does, that has to come from the practice manager. You're the leader, you know, you're the leader in the office. The doctor has, you know, put that responsibility on you having a conversation. Maybe you're the practice manager that notices this, but the practice owner is not on board. And maybe that's like you have to have a conversation with the practice owner for that to really say, hey, we need to really address this because this could potentially down the line
0: costs a lot of money, right? Well, yeah, cuz you lose your employee or there's an there's a complaint filed. You know, I know a lot of the managers who listen to this podcast and none of them actually all of them would be just really upset to know that their employees are feeling that kind of like overt pressure. So, I I would think almost everybody who's listening is going to be like, "Okay, maybe I do need to check in on this." Because we're so caught up in our own thing too. I mean, we have Absolutely. so many different jobs. So yeah, it is nice to be aware of the struggles of the other departments so that, like you said, we can all kind of bring that harmony back and get that grace going. I like that. Absolutely. This has flown. I mean, this really has flown (laughs) by. I want to thank you. India, tell them how they can find you.
1: Well, you can reach me. uh, My website is learntoprevent.com. So that's L-E-A-R-N, the number two, P-R-E-V-E-N-T.com. There's tons of Courses and different things like that. So check that out. Uh, we're on
0: Instagram, so it's at Learn to Prevent, and then also on Facebook at Learn to Prevent. All right, and I will link all of this in the show notes. And you said you're working on season two of the podcast, so that's yes. going to be exciting. So keep an eye out for that. And then you speak, so I know that you I do. Yes. Keep an eye out to see if she's around and go check it out. But people go get your training. Yes. And then <laughs> let patients know that you're getting your training at least get some marketability out of this, right? I think that's an awesome
1: idea. Patients are now more aware they've, you know, they're paying attention. They're watching. Are you washing your hands? Do you have clean gloves on like all of that? I think it's awesome. And post it in the office, you know, ask your consultant or make one on your own, but put like a certificate that we've officially completed the different training and post it in the reception
0: area. I love that. Yeah. Cause you guys should celebrate. I mean, that's, that's tough stuff. OSHA and infection control were never easy for me to sit through, you know, being admin, (laughs) but I did it. But even, you know, admin people are like thinking about, or not admin, clinical people are thinking about, I've got this to do, this to do, this to do. So so you should congratulate yourselves when you when you go through that kind of training. So keep an eye out for India on the road and go check out her websites because free forms, people, Woohoo. free forms. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll have you back again because I definitely want to keep in touch and talk about this type of topic. And we'll do, we'll do maybe do a little bit of HIPAA next time. I'll yes. I know that you train on that too, but infection control in OSHA is just. I don't know. There's a lot more juiciness when it comes to it, right? <laughs> yes, sir <laughs> yeah. well, I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast. and we will definitely talk to you again. And dear listeners, I want to thank you always for hanging in there with me. You know, I appreciate all the time that you spend with me and my guests we're all super busy. So thank you for making time for me today. The show notes will have any links that we referenced in this episode. You can also find links for my book and for my live events and webinar schedule. I speak often around the country on management and insurance issues. Come hang out with me in one of my classes. I promise you'll laugh and learn.